Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Inside Social Work podcast. I cannot believe when I started this over a year ago I would make it this far. There have been listeners joining us from the US, the UK, Canada, New Zealand, Ireland, India, Chile. We have a few listeners out there in Saudi Arabia, Belgium, Spain, Hong Kong, China. The list goes on. We've had listeners from about 43 countries tuning into this podcast and I am super excited. Thank you so much to everybody who has taken the time to learn about social work and in an Australian context. I'm, I'm really blown away. It's amazing. I just wanted to just share my um, deepest, I guess, thoughts with everybody going through the pandemic. I know it's impacted a lot of workers. I've been feeling the fatigue here in Melbourne with the really strict lockdowns for nearly three months finding it a little bit more difficult to get the energy I need to make it through the day and I'm really aware that people across the world are having very different experiences and times are really tough. For a lot of us in frontline work or direct contact work are also noticing the impact on the clients that we work with. A lot of people are feeling unsettled, are very anxious, overwhelmed, there's a lot of worry There's a lot of disadvantage with the technical divide coming in and impacting those who are trying to learn and educate themselves remotely or work has been cut down or cut back and they can't access the services that they're used to. So there's a lot really happening out there and I know social workers are right there amongst it trying to support as many people as they can and really just really want to take my hats off to everybody and Just a big thank you to everybody listening out there. Today's episode, uh, I talk with Jude Hill about perinatal and infant mental health. And this is a topic that I find really interesting. Um, I got into working with young people, starting off in aged care and realizing I wanted to work a little bit earlier on in the life cycle to prevent things ending up as difficult as what I was seeing in an aged care mental health space. Um, I work in a homelessness mental health kind of service and I thought if I can work with adults maybe I can support them to um, improve their mental health, to improve their literacy, numeracy, find employment, find some stable housing and that might have an impact uh, down the track. And then from working with adults I decided working with youth would be um, an even earlier way to intervene and it sounds like Jude had a similar experience and she went right down to day one or even before um, birth so she started working with expecting mothers and with um, with infants so some really interesting work that she's doing and I look forward to sharing this episode with you I hope you're all doing well and uh, take care Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work Podcast, where we take a peek behind the scenes into different fields of social work, engage and inspire practitioners, translate research into practice and encourage lifelong learning. I'm your host, Marie Lukakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Okay, welcome to the Inside Social Work Podcast. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Jude Hill. Welcome, Jude. Hello. Thank you for having me. 
Do you want to share with the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, I think what sums me up is the fact that I've got a different headphone stuck into one ear and I wondered why I wasn't hearing because I've got two sets of headphones. That sort of sums me up, really. Right? It's almost like an Alanis Morissette song of too many spoons when you need a knife. Or... <laughs> oh, look at that. Both ears work. Excellent. Um, <laughs> so a bit about me. So I try not to take myself too seriously. I think it's probably the main thing about me. Um, and I've been working as a therapist person for a long time. So um, social work journey-wise, I started out like nobody from my family had ever been to uni or anything. I didn't know what to do. Um, so I went, used to get in the 80s, there used to be this newspaper that came out. You probably weren't even born in the 80s, but this newspaper used to come out called Careers Guide. And I went through that and there was social work and there was psychology and there was this other thing called social, um, social services. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds amazing. But actually, the first thing I did was a liberal studies degree and, and was going to work in the environment. But anyway, so I got the Careers Guide and did all this... Um, went to did my social sciences degree in community services which back in the old days i think was called the welfare degree but they were trying to jazz it up and they called it the community services degree and back then you were doing 28 to 30 contact hours a week at uni it was full on it was just really intense lots of group work lots of um we weren't allowed to call it counseling but it was lots of interviewing skills it was great um but I came out of that and was working and you could be, because of course the title's not protect, protected. So I've worked, was working in social work roles, but without my social work um, proper ticket. And then about 11 years ago, I thought, oh, I'll go back to uni. And I got, I went back and did the um, bachelor because I'd always wanted the bachelor. I always thought the bachelor was way better than the masters. But these days, of course, we've gone quite American with our, our learning and they want us to have postgraduate qualifications so um yeah so that's how that came along so that's, so that's where i started being a social worker i suppose um and i started working in i did my last placement of my social science degree was working with young people and i just loved it i loved the counseling side of it um i loved seeing people's kind of darkness turn into people's light I just thought it was amazing. And that was about 96. And it's just been a beautiful, interesting journey um, since then. Lots of different things I've done. Um, yeah. What was, what was the other part of your question? Was there a question? I just started talking, didn't I? No, that's perfect. And then tell us about where you've ended up now and the area, well, of, I guess, interest or specialty that you're in. So I was working with... Um, in this place that used to be called the second story, which was a young people's um, counselling service, which of course the government has since cut and is now a teeny tiny little version of itself. Um, a very specific role it has now, but I, but which they used to be, it used to be a big organisation that I was part of, and um, part of the organisation was working zero to five, and we were working twelve to twenty-five. So we they ran a um, the, the part of the organisation that were working in zero to five ran a conference. So we all trooped along to this conference and it was the first time that Kent Hoffman had come out to Australia. And the, 
person that was kind of pivotal in that was actually part of the organisation that we worked for. So I'm watching Kent Hoffman present and there's this um, video, it's quite a, um, what's the word, iconic video, where um, I can't remember whether it's Dan Hughes or Dan Siegel, I think it's Siegel, but when he was very young, puts a baby in a drawer and they, then they track the eye movements of the baby looking at the mum and you can see how the babies learned to track really early on and it was what that experiment that they did was one of the first experiments where they learned that it wasn't the parent who had to follow the baby oh sorry it wasn't the parent leading the exchange they realized that the baby from very early on they just they were looking at this baby through this through this experiment they realized oh the baby is leading the exchange and the parent has to follow the baby because the baby does the cute stuff like you know moves its eyes and and we well, I remember in, in uni I'm trying to make myself look a bit better um I remember in uni um it's probably not a term that they would use now because it's out of favor but the my, my supervisor in psychology she used to talk about um last lecturer rather she'd talk about babies being seductive in the true form of the word because they are you know they seduce you into their world they want you to be part of their world because if you're not part of the world you don't survive so here i am this little um um i was much younger then um so that was you know i don't know how many years ago that was so say uh 2001 two maybe and I'm sitting there at this conference thinking, this is amazing and this is what I want to do. Seeing the idea of being able to help a parent see a baby and then be able to change the trajectory of that baby's life to then become a different young person to these young people that I was seeing that had had such tough times in life. And I thought, this is amazing. This is just what I want to do. Um, and so I did. I applied for other jobs and I went to, um, where did I go from there? Um, I can't even remember. I got a job actually. I went to, actually, a bit of a long story, but I went and worked for um, child protection for about 16 months. That was about all I could manage. Um, and I did that to have a break from health because organizations are organizations you know they they can wear everybody down even if you're really impassioned about the work sometimes the organization itself can make you want to have a break so i went and worked at child protection to have a break from health which is a pretty funny thing to do but um the thing i learned from there was to be even more child-centered and less adult-centered and that was a really positive thing and from there i went and started working I, from that place then I started to work purely with um, mothers mothers and babies I had also was working with parents or women who had been um, sexually abused in childhood so CSA um, survivors and that dovetailed really well into the, what else I was learning about the impact of child onto the adult um, adult person so everything that I've done since I saw Kent that first time I, I haven't ever missed anything that he's done since he's come out here he's as you would know he's one of the origin originators of the circle of security um 
and I've gone to every training he's done in Adelaide pretty much that um, and I have loved it so what else so um, the kind of official I guess area that would be for those who don't know it is, does it come under perinatal or infant mental health or is uh-huh. it both what's, what's the difference so yeah. um, it's well peri, perinatal mental health um, that that uh, that generally uh, what's the word implies implies that it's the the period before just before birth and then 12 months after birth um, so that's generally that period of perinatal. I don't know if it's got a proper written down definition. It probably has, but that's how I think of it anyway. Um, and that's about the health of the mother. Um, and the um, infant mental health, that's more about the health of the baby. And they can, of, of one, one plays on the other, obviously. Um, so yeah, with, without a healthy mum, you're not going to have a healthy baby unless you've got some terrific supports around you and without, um, a child who's, um, developing well, then the family's going to be in struggle because you're going to be struggling to find, um, to, to develop and grow to the best of your potential if you're not going to have good supports around you outside. Yeah, so for those, um, you mentioned the Circle of Security and that's a program that I um, I really like and I recommend it to a lot of people to find providers of that if they've got young children. Can you share with listeners a bit about yeah. what that program is, the kinds of theories it uses, um, and if you yeah. practice it, how you, how well, you run it? And, um, can you hear me okay? Well, I was being lucky enough. Yeah, yeah, just dropped out from a minute. It's a bit choppy. I don't know why. I'm right near the modem. But, um, I, when I started, there was no COSP. Uh, it was all circle of security, and that meant the 20-week formal intervention using the parents' own video, um, slicing that up so that then they could see their, um, their own parenting struggle. So um, what... I, where I worked was this place called Through the Looking Glass and we based our program on that, that circle of security program but we added in the use of childcare and some other um, um, just trying to think what, how, how else it was different. It was different because we weren't being supervised specifically to be providing the circle of security model but we, but we were always in contact with the um, with Ken Hoffman in America anyway. And he actually came out when he was out once he gave us some supervision around that. And I did the 10-day training. So everybody who was running that program did the 10-day circle of security um, treatment planning and treatment planning and something else training it was called. So it's a program very much uh, steeped in attachment theory, but also in object relations theory. So um, it has a psychoanalytic base as well as a, an, an attachment base. Um, so really if the infant is at the centre um, and then you have the, the you're looking at the dyadic dance between the caregiver and the baby. Um, 
but you're also looking at the dance between that infant and other caregivers, so childcare workers or, um, you know, other important caregivers, aunties, uncles, people who are pivotal to that child's um, growing up are also included in that. So, yeah, so it's predominantly attachment theory, object relations theory. Um, but if we were to look at it through a social work lens, we'd be saying it was a um, strengths-based um, and it is strengths-based because you are looking at opportunities, but you, you, know, you don't shy away from the struggle. You, you need to be open and honest about the struggle. And I think that's something when we, when we look at strengths-based work, we think, oh, you know, it has to all be positive, positive. But actually, if we do that, we're denying the reality of people's lives. They know that they're not doing everything perfect. Why don't we just admit it? You know, so that's the delightful thing about being able to be transparent in the way you work and working in partnerships. Um, so, uh, and you're looking, you'd be using the um, uh, systems model as well because you're working with the infant, with the, with the toddler, uh, the caregiver, wherever the caregiver is. So that was what we operated with with the 20-week, um, using sort of the idea of the 20-week model. And then came COSP and being the ridiculous attachment nerd that I am, as soon as they brought that out, we couldn't get into Perth, but a group of us trooped straight over to um, Canberra to do it because we had to be the first to do it because that's what happens when you get completely obsessed with a, um, with a model um, or a way of working or a group of people that you love working with. It just drives you to be, want to be like, I've got to know more, I've got to know more, and you develop this voracious appetite for learning more and more and more. So that's what it's all about for me, early intervention. And I think um, what I hear a lot is parents who have had, this is a, I suppose, a, a warning for people. I'm not going to be really honest, but what I'm seeing is a lot of parents, uh, a lot of young people, well, not young people, but people who have just had children and they come out and they say, oh, I've realised now I want to work in that um, perinatal space. Um, like early intervention, I want to work with babies. And my warning is be prepared for having all of your own demons and your own demons around the way that you as a parent and the way that you were parented to be in your face all day, every day. And if you're doing it well, then you are facing those demons. You have your own therapist. You are conscious of the... Um, the transference, the counter-transference, you are aware of what you are bringing into that room because you are part of that system. And I think what happens is it becomes a bit idyllic for people. Oh, I really want to work with babies. Well, you know what? I don't even like babies. Like, you know, people are like, oh, babies are the best. And I'm like, yeah, they're actually really interesting, but I'm not interested in the way you look at babies. I want to look at them the way I look at them, which is like, oh, look what they just did then. Oh, look what they just did that. Look at that little interaction. Look at that. The other um, method that I love to use is Martimeo, which um, is a Dutch method uh, or Dutch model. And it's, she'd hate to call it a model. The woman who has invented it and runs it through the world is Maria Arts. And she uses terminology like um, looking for the child's initiative. So when you're looking at babies, people just think, I hear things like this. I hear things like, oh, their personality hasn't come in yet. I think, oh, really? That child is born with just this 
you know, the Maria Arts calls it a golden gift. You are given a golden gift with this baby and you hear people say, oh, I can't, I don't understand what it's saying. Well, just watch it. It, yes, I do say it, whoops. Um, watch your baby. You are going to see a story there. You've just got to be able to watch it. And the thing is, when you're a parent and you're watching your baby, you've also got all these other things like, am I doing this right? Am I, am I, um, uh, am I doing this wrong? Um, oh, is she heavy enough? Oh, no, the cast nurse told me that she's, her head's too big for her body. Oh, no, that means something, you know, all the things that happen. Um, so I, I, tell, I really think people who are really ready to go gung-ho straight into the field should settle a bit and do a lot of self-care around that because you could go straight in and think this is going to be great and get a job as a therapist, and I've seen it happen before, and people really, really struggle because it's hard to be doing stuff all day and, and looking at the challenges of parenting and the challenges um, that parents uh, bring to, you know, you as a worker and you're having to face your own challenges at home. Your baby might not be sleeping. Your baby might have different conditions that might mean um, allergies or whatever. And then, so then you're always, well, I watch it. I see women having to, having to manage their own internal dialogue while they're also with the parent. We do that anyway. But I think it's really important to be getting good supervision. I would say weekly, fortnightly, touch base as often as you can. No less than fortnightly, I think, to, make, to maintain a really um, robust uh, way of being with parents. You need at least fortnightly supervision. And having a good colleagues, having a good colleague or colleague group that you can like, talk with and um, get support from and say, oh, my kid couldn't sleep last night and here I am going and talking to his mother about sleep. You know, what a charlatan. You know, but, you know, it's important to be able to acknowledge your own struggles because we're all just charlatans in this together, just making stuff up. You know, <laughs> that's what it can feel like. I think it's I think it's really interesting that you mentioned the self as a practitioner or as a therapist and when you're in that system how maybe not triggering it can be but it brings up all your own stuff and I think that's something that's often overlooked in a more kind of case management social work role but therapists especially if they're trained in sort of systemic work focus on that a lot do you, have you noticed a bit of difference in as you fluctuate through those roles even, um, even I've been lucky enough to mainly work in therapeutic roles. So, you know, I kind of steered myself in that direction. These days there are less therapeutic roles for social workers um, in South Australia anyway. They're, um, I think, as a result of a few things, and I don't know what's happening with the unis, but there's less jobs now available in therapeutic roles. So when they come up, people, there are a lot of people go for them. Um, but I do see a difference. I see a difference that um, I think we should always be seeing, noticing that ourselves in the room and what we bring to the space and our relationship with the child and our relationship with the parent um, or caregiver. I think all of that needs to be um, 
needs to be put on the table and discussed and the impact of what's happening like so the caregivers not not even in a case management role I, I think we miss out too many opportunities to be able to discuss the impact of um, the dyad functioning and the work on us we are impacted by that and we in turn impact on that on on the dyad um, I once I once had this great student and she was a freaking legend and she was amazing and um, I think her name was Sarah. Sarah, if you're listening, you were awesome. And I sat in on her, um, I didn't sit in, I had to, you know, facilitate all the placements stuff. And she said, um, they said to her, the, the supervisor who, you know, you know what some supervisors can be like, I'm rolling my eyes at the supervisor. Um, he said, oh, so what? what are you doing exactly? What is this work that you're doing? Because I think he was trying to poo-poo my work. And she said, well, I see my role as working with the relationship rather than directly with the parent or with the child. I work with that space in between. And I thought, oh, and, and we do say it, but it's not, we don't, not always that explicit. And I think it was lovely to see that from her. She came in and she could see that's what we were doing. And, um, and that was a delight. There are, there's so many room, so much room for learning. And if you do enter into this space, this is a, um, dynamic in the true sense of the word, it is changing all the time. But, the um, knowledge around brain development is making this field so dynamic. It is changing. Something that you might be encouraging a family to do today might be different tomorrow because you'll have realised that the impact on the infant, it needs to, we need to do something different. So, for example, um, the changes in we get in sleep. There's always new rules about sleep, you know, However long ago we were doing controlled crying, now controlled crying is completely off the agenda. You don't do that, you know, and there's this idea that you have to, um, you know, settle your baby in a particular way. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm big into nature. I think let's try and read your baby as much as we can. And if you can't read your baby, then um, get help to read your baby and just be kind to yourself. Like sleep is hard for everyone. I said to my partner the other night, I've been looking after some rescue dogs. And I said to my partner the other night, like, I'm really tired because I've been sleeping on the couch for three nights. But imagine what it must be like to be, you know, somebody with a baby who doesn't sleep. How do you hold yourself together and your child together and um, continue to like, function in whatever society like are you still working you know like all these all the other things that people expect from parents like it's hardcore and that's where more recently I've been using different models I've been using mindfulness um, and compassion compassion based uh, what's it called compassion focus. compassion both focus therapy but also um, mindful based self-compassion so just about all of look, my computer is leaning on the compassionate mind workbook. I mean, I feel like that's where we're heading. And that's what I say about it being a dynamic space. 
you've got to be prepared to learn a whole new way of working with people because we're learning how important compassion is and we're learning about shame the impact of shame on children so we need to be learning okay now i know that what do i need to do differently when i'm supporting this family and that's regardless of whether you're working in a therapeutic role or a case management role or in a policy role you need to be keeping up to date with what children need to meet their best potential you've given um so many ideas about people's you know what you do for self-learning and development and reflection supervision what have been some of the challenges either you've that you've personally faced or that you find come up for you in that oh, line of work when your parents die that knocks you for six um if uh it's the personal stuff also it's the organizational stuff but i'll just put that out there because i think everybody understands that there are organizational things that can that can make you be quite unhappy um but in terms of the personal stuff like dealing with the loss of a parent when you're working through like you know stuff like oh you know maybe my mum could have done this better and this better and this but oh now she's dead and you don't get the opportunity to be able to you know, be as mad as your mother for your upbringing as you need to be, maybe, because, oh, too late, she's gone. Um, and whether or not you have children as well. So one of my um, challenges is that I don't have children. And, you know, when I get asked, do you have children? Like, you know, do you have children? And I don't mean from the um, client group. I mean from other colleagues. and. And I feel like saying, well, 25 years ago when I started out on this journey, I assumed that at the end of it I'd have a few kids. That hasn't been the path that I've walked on. So what am I meant to just stop it and go, oh, I didn't, I didn't achieve Darwinian success. Sorry, I'm not passing along my genes. You know, so therefore I must not work in this field. No, why should I give up a field that I love and... Um, the fact that you know we didn't, we didn't make babies but you know but that it does that can sting and and i i have a i have a theory um when people introduce themselves in this line of work in mother infant work um i i say to, especially to students if i've got students or to young practice young like early early practitioners i'll say to them i judge because i'm judgy at times i judge a person's um, skill level on how quickly and how often they reference their own family so if you've got somebody who stands up and says oh g'day my name's kevin and i've got six kids i immediately dial down my respect <laughs> because i think i don't want to know about your personal life mate tell me what theories are informing you Tell me why you're interested in working with families. Tell me what you want to change. Give me some stuff that's important to me, but I don't want to know about your family. And I think people can hide behind the fact that they have children and say, oh, well, therefore I've got experience in that. It's not the same. Um, and, it, and it can, yeah, it can cause problems. Um, as a worker who, yeah, who doesn't have children and as workers who do have children, worked with this beautiful woman and before she'd go out and see 
a family, she would scribble in her personal little notebook all the things that she was going to sort out in her own child relationships. Now, um, yeah, so that's not my struggle, but that's some of the struggles I've seen. Um, and, what oh, if- and of course, hang on, just let me finish this rant. The other thing is not being a psychologist. So um, learning to speak well, learning to use appropriate theoretical terms, um, be on your game and you'll get, you'll get respect. But if you're not on your game, then you won't. Um, what advice could you give to those who are new into the field or into social work? Training. Go to every training. Don't think you know anything because you don't yet. Um, learn from people who you think um, you can learn from. Get supervision wherever you can. Um, and just read, join, um, join that some of these, uh, in terms of mental health, join some of those. Um, there's the Australian Association of Infant Mental Health. So every state has a branch. So that's if you want to work with the children's side of things, if you want to work with the uh, women and mental health side of things, and that's then look look for um, the, uh, oh, what's it called? The Marseille Society, M-A-R-C-E, Marseille Society. Um, so join some societies or just Google some stuff if you want to. It needs, if you're going to work in a dynamic field and you want to become a well-respected practitioner, then you find a mentor and you just keep studying and reading and learning. Um, And you'll soon find whether it's not quite the right field for you. Maybe this isn't quite right because, um, you know, maybe it's too much triggering for you and you might need to put it, and I don't use that triggering word lightly, I don't like it in the way it gets used on Facebook and whatever, but I think it can bring up, it can elicit responses in us that can make us feel not great about ourselves or our parenting, like I said. So don't be afraid to put it aside and think, okay, maybe I'll come back to this in a few years when my kids are older. Um, Yeah, there's no shame in that. But yeah, my, and, and train, do lots of training. And again, don't don't listen to the oh we we only give you five days paid training days. Too bad. Use your use your leave. Use your annual leave if you need to. Take unpaid days. Um, buy your own books. Pay for your own training, and that's how you end up getting kind of uh, further in your field and so being what, a respected you know person in your field. So what I'm hearing there, which is um, something I'm also passionate about is your degree is just the bare minimum you need to step into that role. It then is is up to you to find peer supervision groups, to network, to upskill, to attend training, webinars, podcasts, books. Yes. That's just the beginning is the degree. Yeah, it is. And look at post-grad work. There's some great post-grad courses around, but at the moment, Oh, I mean the, the, joy of COVID for us, especially over here in South Australia, because we've got, you know, no cases and plenty of webinars. So there, I can't believe how many webinars. I am, um, there is no excuse not to get your PD done at the moment. There was, I saw some something the other day. 
well, no, it must have been before June when people were saying, oh, shouldn't we get our PD reduced down? And I was like, why? Every night you should be reading something, but then maybe not every night, but once a week you should, should have read a chapter of a book or a, um, an article of some description. No, I think there's, yeah, I think there's a lot to, there's so much to learn, even if you're just reading some stuff on Facebook. There are some great, there are great pages on Facebook that you could be following, groups you could join, and all of that can contribute to your PD. Um, yeah, so look at the, look at Australian Association of Infant Mental Health and look at the World Association, look at, um, and look at getting mentors. Great. Thanks so much, Jude. Oh, my pleasure. I should, I should also mention mentalisation. So um, that is another field that is, and, and working with women with borderline. So just as another theory, yeah, embrace mentalisation makes you a better therapist. Well, I'll grab some, um, some links and some resources off you and you can, yeah. we can add them in the show notes. So maybe your top few books or a few websites and people okay. can, can tap into those. Beautiful. I'll email you. Awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode's resources and don't forget to click subscribe and review us wherever it is you get your podcasts.